A leader has to communicate, has to be honest. You can't find out from the boot stutter that you're not getting the game. Yeah, you can't find out around the, the water cooler that the boss is about to give you a dressing down in the next sales meeting. Hello, it's Andrew May and you're listening to the NAB Business Fit podcast where we chat with experts across a range of fields delving into their world to look at what fuels them and learning lessons that can be applied to running a small business. Today's guest is an AFL Hall of Famer turned coach, commentator and business leader. In sporting circles, he's known for playing 356. That's a lot of AFL games, first for Fitzroy and then the mighty Sydney Swans. He then moved on to coaching the Sydney Swans to their 2005 Premiership flag. But if you're not up on AFL, you might know him as an author, a columnist, a TV presenter, a keynote speaker, or even a former recipient of Father of the Year. As the founder and director of Performance by Design, he empowers organisations to build better work cultures. He is regarded as one of Australia's leadership experts. Paul Roos, welcome to the podcast. How are you, mate? Good to see you. I'm good. It doesn't feel right calling you Paul, because when I first met you years ago, it was Roosy and watching you play AFL. So we might sort of oscillate between Roosy and Paul. And there's so many things we can talk about today, but I thought we'd we'd frame them into discipline. Yeah. We'll look at also connection and communication. And we'll look at a big thing that I think is one of your points of difference. It's not just leadership. And look, let's be honest, a lot of ex-athletes wax lyrical about leadership. And you say, so tell me, what is leadership? And ah, uh, uh, it's when you get all the boys or all the girls to follow and you know, kick more goals. Shoot. No, no, it's about role modelling. So I want to get into all those. But before we do that, how are you coping with this crazy world right now we call COVID, where at some stage, borders are open, borders are closed? How, how are you surviving? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's and that's I guess we can touch on a lot of those concepts as we go through, you know, the next you know hour because we're seeing a lot of really good stuff and we're seeing a lot of really good bad, really bad stuff. And I think, I mean, I always look at a helicopter view around leadership. So when anything happens, I mean, there's obviously yourself and you got to cope yourself. And Tammy and I are relatively fortunate. You know, we had a nice house that we we sort of lived in. We were able to get overseas to visit. Tammy's dad was really crook, so we were able to get overseas and get an exemption to do that. Um, so there's your individual component, but there's also looking at through so many different lenses, and I think that's been the most fascinating thing. And I'm really pleased with some of the things I've seen, but appalled by some of the things I've seen. And, and that's probably been the, the biggest takeaway from me, this level of self-interest that well it only affects me and I don't think I, I, I'd seen it to this level and if you look at Australia as a whole I mean who would have ever thought we're no longer Australians we're actually Victorians or New South Welshmen or Queenslanders and that's not driven by the the people that's driven by the politicians and it's been it's been really really disappointing to see and and, and it has been I mean I've been really frustrated and down and because I just didn't think I'd see that in Australia that it'd be all about the individual and all about the state and yes there's a lot of stuff we can cover but yeah it's been an incredibly I think if we went into politics you and I would have a four-hour podcast so we might focus on one of the things that you have taught me and so many other people is controlling the controllables but it is crazy because in in years gone by it was state of origin right state against state with with football and now with netball as well and the cross Tasman but it has been yeah you're a Victorian you're a Queenslander so there's so many changing rules there's boundary updates all the time as well What, what are you doing to actually run a business you know to keep connected with your family what what's some of the stuff you're doing on a daily basis 
I think the biggest things to come out of it is you, you touched on before, Andrew, is control what you can control. So that's a really, and what does that mean? It's fascinating getting into the corporate space. I think a lot of, there's a lot of corporate words, but I don't think people really understand what that means. So it's what's control, what you can control. So be aware of the situation, you know, be aware of the board is shutting or the fact that we've got to be at home for a certain amount of time. Okay, so that's the reality. Now, based on that reality, what can I do? You know, so I can still do my meditation in the morning. You know, I can still go for a bit of a run during that hour period. And I'm taking the extremes at the moment of, of when we were right in the middle of the pandemic. But to give you an example, okay, I can still connect with my staff and make sure that I'm ringing, you know, if I'm a CEO and I've, I've got everyone working from home, I can have these little and often conversations where I ring up, hi, oh, Andrew, how are you, mate? You know, how's the wife? You know, how's the kids going? So I can still control these certain things. And that's really what, what that means. Routine, and we'll probably talk a bit more about how, what's my routine. So I don't get it, and that's really hard mm. to stay in a routine where your routine's been flipped on its head completely. Okay, what's my new routine? My new routine is I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm still going to go and have breakfast. I'm not going to go straight from the um, bedroom to the study. And, and I noticed a lot of people were doing that. And the workday's gone from eight hours to 14 hours. So suddenly you're in your work environment. You know, you, you're not outside it. You're, you're in your home and work environment. How can I stay healthy? You know, okay, I'm going to eat a little bit less because I'm at home. I'm snacking. I'm grazing. I'm not exercising as more. So they're the sort of things. And with my business, how can I change it? You know, what can I do now? You know, my expertise is X. Okay, now I can maybe instead of doing these face-to-face and, and ourselves at Performance by Design, we – we changed our day seminar or workshop into four two hours, and it was incredible. It really was. The impact was extraordinary. So there's a lot to, to digest in that answer, and we'll probably explore them more as we go through. But that gives you a little bit of idea of where I've been at, you know, where our company's been at, and also some of the advice that I would give to the small, medium business owners. A, a mutual friend of yours and mine, or in fact, he's been your right-hand man in Two sporting teams I know of is your physical performance manager, Dave Misson, or in sport in Australia, we add an O, E, a wire, an animal, so Misso. Yeah. And Misso had an idea back in the early to mid-2000s to get a few washed-up middle-distance runners like myself to come in and run with your players. Was that your idea or was that Misso's to start with? I think it was Misso's idea. Um I mean, Misso is like is really progressive and one of those really came from the cricket, of course, but yeah, so it was his idea. Yeah. So when he got myself and a few other runners in to, to come and run in the off season, I think you guys used to call us the rabbits. I don't know whether that was affection or not. The rabbits are coming, then you get rid of us when you do the real footy stuff. The first thing that impressed me was how fit some of your players were, especially some of the midfielders like Fosdyke going back, Jude Bolton, yeah. Michael O'Loughlin. Like, and the, their time trials, I was un, just amazed at their athleticism of the athletes. The second thing that impressed me was the structure and the routine. You know, I'd come from track and field. I'd worked a bit in netball, basketball, a bit in cricket. And suddenly seeing what Misso had, had put together, and I said, this is so structured and organised. Where are you getting all this from? He said, it's driven by Rusey. And he said, one of the big things that you impressed on him from day one is routine and structure. Uh, so where does that come from? Were you the kid that had the tidy bedroom, the, the chart on the wall? You, you, were you that kid? No, actually, it's funny. It's a great question because 
I think I learned it was a learned skill. It's not something I'm naturally good at. So if I'm left to my own devices, I actually do find it hard to make the bed and do all that sort of stuff. But as I was going through, um, football is very structured, you know. And as we moved into the full-time era, I remember going overseas and I, I moved overseas in uh, 1998. I retired in 19, uh, sorry, 1998, moved overseas with Tammy in 1999. And I did a lot of research. And I went to Lakers, 49ers, Denver Broncos, um, Chicago Bulls. And I remember watching the 49ers train and it was a training session and I'd never seen anything like it. It was just this incredibly military precision because those of you who know about NFL, there's about 70 players and there's two sides, there's offense and defense. And what they, what, when I was watching this session, it was sort of the individual athletes training, then that group would come together and train, then that group would come together. And eventually by the end of the session, it was the whole offense versus the defense. And I couldn't believe how there was not a minute wasted in that session. And it really hit me that we were still a fair way behind in AFL football. So that year was really pivotal in in shaping a lot of my beliefs. And then in order to get better, you need consistency. You need habits. You need routine. And that's what we just did at, at Sydney. Everything we did was like clockwork. Everything we did, whether it's a preview, a review, a running session, you know, a skill session, and probably one of my biggest frustrations in the corporate world, and I say this all the time, one of the benefits of playing football is you can't ring up on the weekend and say to Gil McLaughlin, oh, Gil, look, we're not ready to play at 2.10. Can you push the game back? Can we, can we play on Sunday this week? And I find often in the corporate world, uh, let's move that meeting or let's um, I need another I need another day, Rosie, to to put another ten slides together in the pack. So I, I need can another day or everyone. Need another week or whatever. And what and through that period Miso was there. And Miso's incredible attention to detail as well. So we sort of complemented each other, but every week was the same, you know, and it was just routine after routine after routine. And as boring as it gets, that's how you become an expert. There's no magical secret to becoming an expert at what you do. It's routine. Routine turns into habit. Habit creates really good behaviours. And then all of a sudden you become a, a high-performing team. And, and that's just the reality of, of what the Sydney Swans became was just a, a really, really good high-performing team. So three things that jump out. One is it's great to acknowledge me so because I, I learned a lot from Dave and my main sports conditioning experience was in cricket, but I took a lot of the stuff because Mr. Miso was mentoring me at New South Wales cricket uh, and I learned a lot from him. So I could really see that structure and it's, it's really interesting looking upstream that he got that working with you. So it's good to, to acknowledge that. The second thing I'd like to talk about, the juxtaposition between routine and learning something new because you can get into routine discipline structure. I call that the same game and you get the neuroscience yeah. and you get bored. So let's pick up on that. And the third thing I want to pick up, how'd you go from being a player to coaching and some of the relationships? And, and I've got a quote I'm going to give you that you, it's very, very widely known quote. I'm here to be respected, not liked. So let's pick up on the second one though. First of all, how do you either as a coach or as an individual, maybe you want to break both because you are disciplined, you are routine, you are structured. You know when you meet the guy or the girl that's been doing the same thing for 60 years and you want to shake them and go, Come on, do something different. How do you balance that juxtaposition? Yeah, look, and, and I've, 
I think for the people listening, let's not pretend leadership is easy. And, and I'm sure there's no one out there going, yeah, running a small, medium business is easy. So it's hard, right? And, and the complexities of it are we've got to get our routine right. We've got to get our habits right. But we've also got to recognise different personalities. We've got to recognise different styles and how we communicate. And then what the art of being a leader is recognising body language, recognising tone in meetings. So when we do have to change things up, and also going from the here and the now to what where's the game going in a year? Where's the game going in two years? Where's our business going in, in a year or two years? So you're 100% right. And that's the art of, of leadership. You touched on leadership before. You know, it's role modelling, but it's also understanding the complexities around a sporting team, understanding the complexities around a business. When do I have to sort of say, that, guys, look, as a, as a football coach, have the day off tomorrow. Get away from the footy club. I don't want to see you. And then the next day coming in and saying, well, we were going to do a leadership session or we were going to do a running session, but, guys, we're going to head down the beach, we're going to have brekkie, and we're going to do a swimming session in the ocean. That's that's the art of, of being a really good leader is recognising when the routine is becoming monotonous and boring, when the routine is leading to poor performance, so we've actually haven't caught up with, with Hawthorne or we haven't caught up with Geelong or whatever and changing the routine to get better. So, again, it's the art of leadership. Which is self-awareness. If I, if I pull that thread, it's self-awareness. What, what have you done to train that? How, how, have you, how have you sat back? Did you sit back as a player or did you, did you do more of this as a coach? But you have, you have a, a really conscious awareness of this. A lot of people don't. They're on autopilot. So, where did you learn this? How did you learn this? One of the best things I did, Andrew, was I sat down at the end of 1998. I wrote down, it happened to be 25 points, and I actually don't even know why I did it. And what I did was I wrote down through the eyes of a player what I liked about my coaches and what I didn't like about my coaches. And that led to this amazing self-awareness. And one of the way I talk about it now is, are you the leader you wish you had? And I'm going to say that again. Are you the leader that you wish you had. So for me, those 25 points in 1998, October 1998, allowed me to become the leader that I wish I had and it held me accountable. So when you're talking about self-awareness, that self-awareness sort of started in 1998. So I had that document in my drawer for eight and a half years at Sydney. It was the first document I took out when I coached the Melbourne Football Club. It held me accountable. Right? So it gave me the opportunity to look at myself and say, did I do that? That's what my players are expecting of me. Because as a player, when I wrote it, that's what I expected of my coach. Really, we're only here as leaders to help our staff and our players get better. That's one of our main main roles. So if that's the case, and I'm doing things that aren't making them better, then I'm not fulfilling my role. And what I noticed, a lot of the things my coaches did weren't making me better. And I'm thinking, if I'm going to coach the whole reason I have to coach is to improve my players. Not, not to make me feel good because I'm yelling at them, because that's not going to do any good. Not to make me feel good because I can walk home and say to my wife, oh, you know, I really yelled at Mickey Lockman today. Yeah, that felt great. Well, it doesn't matter whether it feels great to me as a leader. That's completely irrelevant because we're, we're all in this business of sport or business to get better, to improve to get the most out of our staff. And I think sometimes leaders forget that. Leaders think that they're here for themselves. The worst leaders 
have no self-awareness and are driven purely by ego. Shocking leaders. Shocking I, love, leaders. I, I love how you've put the experience on that and we won't talk about names on the leaders <laughs> what not to do, but can you pick one or two leaders either in football, life, that really gave you some of those invaluable lessons? Because really when you when you wrote that document out, you'd played hundreds or 356 games of senior footy. You would have played a couple of thousand games all up as, as well as a junior. What have been some of the really influential people in your life and what did they teach you? I think I'll answer broadly and then more specifically, Andy, because I think I encourage leaders to do that now and try and look back over your past because often they'll be the under-13 footy coach, you know, the under-17 netball coach. You know, so, but for me, I think the other thing is you, you'll take positives and negatives out of everyone because David Parkin's funny because Parko, those of you know David Parkin, very famous Australian football coach, he coached me at Fitzroy, and he jokes he goes, oh, Ruzi, all this negative stuff was about me. but And, and he jokes about it like that. But point being, there were positives and negatives about all of them. And, and I would imagine if my players wrote something, a similar document, there'd be negative stuff about me because I would want them to improve. I would want them to be a better version of me and learn from my mistakes as well. But, like, I was lucky. I learned from... Like my role models, Andrew, the guys at Fitzroy were incredible role models, like Gary Wilson, Bernie Quinlan, Laurie Serafini, Mickey Conlon, because they were good people and they had great work ethic, but also good people off the field. So my touch and see and feel role models were really, really great people. The ones that I probably didn't know as well was, you know, Phil Jackson didn't know. I was lucky to meet Phil Jackson, and those of you who don't know Phil Jackson, he's won nine NBA championships, coached the Chicago Bulls. And I'd recommend if you haven't seen The Last Dance, you know, watch The Last Dance. Binge yeah. watched. I, I missed the first couple of weeks and I just could not get enough of it. Yeah, so just his methodology around meditation and mindfulness and and managing different personalities. So I read a couple of his books. And I got an opportunity to meet him, which is great. I think Greg Popovich, who's done an amazing job with the San Antonio Spurs of recent times, Steve Kerr. But I think, I think the biggest thing about role model leaders, you'll take something from everyone. Yeah, mum and dad. Yeah, you mentioned Miso before. I learned from Miso. Yeah, I learned from my players, Kirky, you know, Mickey O'Loughlin, Goodsy, you know, all those sort of guys. So, and but write down the good and the bad. I guess that's the long-winded answer to your question. Write it down. Do the exercise. What did you like about your leaders and what didn't you like about your leaders? And you'll take something from everyone. I got an image. It may not be a very visual that you want me to portray to everyone, Paul, but it's like you're a sponge sort of adapting. So you're soaking up information from your players. It's not this command control, which is really the old way of coaching. And unfortunately, some people still coach or lead like that because that's what they did. You're learning from people like Phil Jackson. And I'm going to dive into meditation. We'll park that for a while. But he was pioneering in global sport, right? Got uh, Who's the guy he got in there? He's written a book. African-American guy who's a meditation expert. You got him back in the 80s. Hopefully the name will come to me. And you've learned from good and bad. Interesting when you say that quote, are you, the, are you the leader you wish you had? In the corporate world a couple of years ago, I had one of the worst possible leaders you could ever have possibly. And I was fighting it. And, and I was burning so much energy. And then when I realized well, you know, I was changing leaders, I had a bit of fun with it. And then I, I now think, what would insert his name do? And I do the exact opposite. So how I've, I think, learned to cope, which is toxic, just a, a, a terrible leader, I actually now think, what would he do? And I do the opposite. So you can learn from the good, sometimes maybe even more from the bad. 
And I think it's it's looking through your eyes as the employee, like you just said then. Because if you wait until you become a leader and, and, and devise your philosophy of leadership when you become a leader, it's really dangerous because then it becomes, well, I didn't like what that guy did, but, it, but, he, but he did it. So then we just perpetuate these habits. What you've been able to do is articulate that through the employee, through the person that's underneath him. That's what you need to do is go back and think, and I reckon, and I say this in the talks or when we were doing our workshops, if you're really honest as a leader, you'll be doing things now you said you hated because you just do them out of habit. So write them down and then hold yourself accountable to them, you know, and, and it's really difficult to do once because that, that thought of command control still exists. It doesn't work, but it still exists, doesn't it? So, oh, I'm a leader now. I have to tell everyone what to do. No. But if you're only shaping your leadership when you're a leader, really difficult. So do the do the exercise as you're coming up the corporate ladder or if you're a leader now, take yourself back in time and sit there and ask yourself, what did I want from my leader? What were my expectations of him? And am I meeting them now for the people that I'm managing? Can you give me an example of when you've reflected on doing something now that you actually hate and you've changed? Oh, one of the one of the big things was I wrote down was never fly off the handle after a game. If you've got nothing to, positive to say, don't say anything at all. And I've seen relationships destroyed after games of football. You know, like and it was really hit me at the time when I could hear coaches yelling at me, yelling at other players. And there was a, one particular incident, and and I won't mention the coach, but I guarantee the two players that he yelled at were scarred for the rest of their careers. And I made a habit, and I say this to to the corporate space. Do not make decisions under pressure if you don't have to. All right, I'll say that again. If you don't have to, never make decisions under pressure because what happens is you start to say something and you don't stop. Words are really hurtful and you can't take them back. And I say this, like after a big sales meeting where you've missed a sale, slow down, take a deep breath, find a mechanism. Even if you're on a phone call, I used to do this all the time and Hopefully, if someone's listening out there that may think now that I've done it to them, I'd be on my mobile phone. And if I was starting to get really heated and frustrated, I'd hang up. And then I'd ring back in a couple – so, mate, sorry, you, the line dropped out. And the reason I did it is because I could feel myself about to say something. So in that one-minute period, I was able to just take a deep breath. All right, the other thing you can do potentially is if you're in a meeting, you know, if you're in a meeting, you feel yourself getting a bit heated – Excuse yourself, guys. Look, I've just got to go and grab a drink. I've just got to duck off to the bathroom. Use those mechanisms to be able to take calm yourself down. Take yourself back to that level where you're saying, okay, what do they want from me? Not what's going to make me feel better. Because in that moment after a game, I guarantee the coaches probably didn't even know, but it made them feel better because they were yelling. And mate, let me tell you, the number of times I wished I. Could have done it after a game. But because I'd written that down, I stopped myself and I held myself accountable to it. If I hadn't written it down, oh, you know, I would have gone nuts after a game and done exactly the same thing that I hated. So that's a really good example of how you can improve 
from one generation to the next in terms of leadership capabilities. There's a lot of mental skills or psychological skills that just are peppered throughout our conversation. I just want to raise some of them. So self-awareness, obviously, but self-regulation is different. Self-awareness, you can know what to do. Self-regulation, you actually do it. So you've got that running. You've got discipline, structure. There's a humility and a vulnerability to whack your hand up and say, oh, look, I'm, I'm not quite sure. There's a grit. Angela Duckworth calls about perseverance and passion. So there's this stuff just running through. It's like you're a Petri dish of 40 years of experimentation. Are you aware of that? It's funny. I, I listened to a couple of webinars recently. It's a really good point. And uh, Simon Sinek and Brene Brown and Jim Collins sort of thing. And I think I think all three of them, and you might know more, I think all three of them are more academics. I know I like Jim Collins is Stanford and stuff like that. So it's fascinating listening to them and the researchers, a couple, I don't want to be disrespectful to any of them, but I'm sure a few of them have run businesses. But I came out of that thinking, it's amazing that my 40 years of experience is exactly what they've come up with, particularly Jim Collins after being at Stanford and, and researching. So probably I was more aware of it after I'd listened to those people and who are world-renowned experts and have sold millions of books and all that sort of stuff. And I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, that, that was amazing, but it's actually what I live and breathe. And I've, I've learned it over a, a period of time. So up until that point, you just do it. Like you're not really looking at yourself too much, you know, in terms of what your skill set is. But I think after I was on those and, and done some more reading over the last two or three years, yeah, I realise how fortunate I have, have been in having great role models, having great experience, done the things that I've done, had great mentors, had great staff with me, great players at the Sydney Swans Footy Club. Yeah, and I, I really think I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. And you underscore that there's obviously a, a growth mindset or a learning agility because, you know, routine, discipline, structure, and then to actually sit back and go, oh, the players need an ocean swim today or this is not working as well. So I think for everyone listening, especially small business owners, look, last year, 2020 was bloody tough, right? Yeah. Really tough. I think some businesses flourish, mainly tech businesses, a lot floundered. If you've got a coffee cart and a small side lane or a high traffic area, what was a high traffic area in the CBD, and people say, have a growth mindset, digitise your business. I won't say what I really think, but you get staffed. How do I do it? So you know, some have flourished, some have floundered, most are in between. But I think the businesses that are looking now, 2021 moving forward, are going, right, what can I learn? What can I adapt? And, and it's obviously something you've had all of your life. So do you always look at what can I learn or do you sometimes just go, I just want to just bunker down, like especially in COVID. Have you had any periods where you've gone, I just want to get through the next three months? Yeah, good question. I think naturally, I think when I was playing and coaching, you're learning by experience. I think I'm more conscious now of watching everything from a leadership and learning point of view because I find it just fascinating. So I'm really way more conscious. So every time I'm in a workshop with Performance by Design, you know, I'm watching the leaders. Every time I'm on podcast, you know, I'm listening to the questions. I'm dissecting them every time I'm on a webinar. Even when I'm watching sport now, I typically – people ask me who I barrack for sort of thing, but, yeah, obviously I've got an allegiance now to North Melbourne um, and I've been at different footy clubs, but it's more – I watch it from a leadership and team building and culture point of view. And to your point before, so those, those people out there that are really struggling, you know, and, and understand 
that yeah, you can't you can't take your coffee shop and suddenly relocate your coffee shop. But what am I learning through this period? You know, and it's a and, and let's be really clear. For some of it's been really really, but reach out. That's that's my main thing. Reach out to someone. You know, reach out to your mates. Tell them you're not going well. Tell them you're struggling because they might come up with a an idea as well. I think one of the other things about leadership, and I'm sure like senior coaches, like small business owners think ah, we don't get, you know, we don't get a lot of help and we're always trying to help everyone else. There are people to help you, but ask the question, you know, ask the question of your mate, ask the question of your employee, what can I do better? Self-awareness, and we touched on it already. So learning is really important, but a lot of learning involves asking questions. And I think leaders aren't great at asking questions, particularly those ones that are going through really, really tough times ask questions, ask for help. Don't think you're in it by yourself. What's a T, I'm, I'm going off track here and there's a reason. What's a TV show, series that you've watched recently or a movie you've watched recently? Uh, I'm watching Peaky Blinders at the moment. Um, I haven't got into it, but I, I everyone from Shane Warne wearing the hat on the Big Bash say here. So when you watch Peaky Blinders, are, are you looking for leadership lessons or can you just switch off and go with the narrative, get in the movie? Or is your brain running all the time, pulling lessons out? How do I apply that? Or have you learnt a way of delineating between work mindset and just chilling and relaxing? Yeah, I think you have to. I think, you know, I think it's a good point. I think what you have to do is sort of understand when you're on and understand when you're off. But even when you're off, you might pick up something, you know, but if you, you know, if you're down the beach or you're with the kids, you know, or, or watching Peaky Blinders as opposed to The Last Dance. You know, if you're watching The Last Dance, you're enjoying it, but you know you're watching it to pick up concepts. If you're watching Peaky Blinders, yeah, you're switching off completely, even though there's always lessons in the 19, you know, early 1900s after World War I. Um, so, yeah, I think you have to have this switch off button. And one of the things, and again, it's probably difficult for the small medium business owners, but I really implore everyone, have a holiday, have a break you have to turn up the best version of yourself every day. It's really important to do that and really challenging at times. But my advice is have a break. I was talking to someone yesterday who's in the real estate business and, and felt that really didn't get a break over Christmas and, and November, December was incredibly busy. It started busy again. I said, mate, you know you have to have a break. He goes, yeah, I do. I'm going to have one. I'm going to take some time off. So that's a really important thing as well. Not only those mini breaks about you know, well, coffee today with, um, you know, coffee today with Johnny Blakey's just a laugh and a joke and, you know, and we're really not talking footy as, as, as well as I'm going to take off and it's obviously a lot harder from COVID, but I'm going to head down the Morning Peninsula now and I'm just going to chill. I'm going to enjoy my time with the kids. I'm going to turn my phone off for, you know, at least four hours a day where it's not on. Yeah, so they're really important moments to become really present leaders and turning up the best version of yourself every day. Well, sport teaches us that. Like when you have a playing roster, whatever whatever sport, you have an off-season and then the men and women go away and you say, get away physically, psychologically, any injuries, you know, sort out your life, come back fresh next year. And then depending on the code and the number of teams, uh, you might have a bye or it's representative footy. And we all know buys, in, especially contact sports, when you have a bye, your incidence of soft tissue injury drops after that. So in sport, it's a given, right? You're, you're running a, a squad with millions of players. You train, recover, train, recover, 
small business. Look, I'm hearing you, Paul, but I am so busy. When I no, 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 the best thing you can possibly do is have a break. Now, two things I need to close the loops on. I reckon some stage, somewhere in the next eighteen months, you will show a small video of Peaky Blinders to North Melbourne, and there'll be a leadership lesson connected. <laughs> <laughs> so, any North Melbourne players? Yeah, it's actually funny you should say that because I remember when I was playing and Rocket showed it was an old. Um, Steve McQueen or Paul Newman movie, and he was in a, he was in jail, and there was some bed in jail. I remember seeing the movie; it was like a really big movie. And then all of a sudden, I said, "Rocket, we're in a team meeting," and I'm thinking, "What on earth is he playing this clip for?" And he had to eat something like fifty hard-boiled eggs. And as it turned out, he talked about resilience and perseverance and all that sort of stuff. So it is amazing <laughs> what you can take out of different scenarios. It's quite funny. Subconsciously, I've just implanted. When you play Peaky Blinders, you'll blame me. You go, oh, <laughs> call me out of it. Now, there's another open loop. When you became coach of the Sydney Swans, and uh, can you fact check that the quote that I have read is that you sat around and a number of players in that squad you had played with, pretty hard when you go from being a teammate in the locker room to running the locker room. Is it correct you said, I'm here to be respected and not liked? Yeah, it was sort of a... It was more of a sort of catch cry. Stewie Maxwell was really big on it as well, and you you had a chance to meet Stewie and work with Stewie as well. But it was sort of a, it was an interesting period where people sort of thought, "Well, it's really hard to play with a group and then coach them," because there was this notion that you couldn't be friends with your players. You know, there was this hard. We touched on it a bit. So, but I always felt like that's not actually true. Like you don't have to be, but you can be. But it's more the way, it's more your values and it's more what you represent as a leader. And then if through your actions they choose to be friends with you, then that's that's fine. But, but the respect part was more if I'm honest and if I communicate and if they don't like what I have to say, at least they're going to respect me. So, yeah, we had a, we, we did talk about that a lot as a, as a group, as a leadership group, as a coaching group, because we were there to create a really high-performing environment. So there was a, it's very complex. We were there to build strong relationships. But equally, at the end of the day, we had to set high standards. Yeah, but some of the, again, getting back to some of the, the learnings that I had, a, a leader has to communicate, has to be honest. You can't find out from the boot starter that you're not getting the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't find out around the, the water cooler that the boss is about to give you a dressing down in the next sales meeting, Okay. You, so they're the learnings from that period of time we talked about. So the respect was a, was a big part of it. You know, if they wanted to be friends, and I've got a lot of friends from, from Sydney and a lot of friends from Melbourne, that's fine. But there's some players that would say, no, I never was friendly with Rusey, but hopefully every one of them say, look, I respected him, even though when we had a disagreement. And I, Stuart Maxwell, was big on that as our first captain under that initial model of player empowerment. And he was huge on that. I, I, I don't really like, it doesn't worry me if my key teammates don't like me, but they must respect me mm. as, as the captain. Well, even that was a shift then, empowering teammates and doing the, the Ray McLean model back then and the Bloods and going back to the, the Bloodstained Angels on the docks in Melbourne as well to bring that culture in. It was a big step forward to empower players, not just to have a few senior players but a leadership group. It's common practice now in most teams, isn't it, that there's a leadership group, not just a leader. You would have had to have had 
the, the, the word that is bubbling through my mind is confidence to to step from playing to coaching. And I want to run parallel for our listeners. So if you're not playing footy, what does that mean? You're a really good salesperson. They tap yeah. you on the shoulder and go, hey, Laura, you're now going to manage a team of everyone that you've been selling and competing against every month for bonuses. Or you're running a product range and you've been really good at selling 2020 computers and technology, right? Now you're going to run the team. It's a big shift. So how would you coach someone to make that shift? What's a few things they can do? Because I get it, routines, rituals, salesperson, good at selling product, good at motivating a team is a real shift when you are leading that team. Yeah, and we talk a bit about the playing coach. A lot of those type of people have that playing coach syndrome. And the playing coach in AFL football finished around the mid-80s. You know, that's the, the coach that's actually on the field with the team. So firstly, you've got to acknowledge I'm no longer a player and I'm not a player coach. I'm actually a coach now. You know, so that's a, that's a very different mindset. But too many of the people we work with in that sort of GM team, the leadership team, still see themselves. So they end up doing all the work of the players or the salespeople. And then the salespeople go, well, why would I do it? Because you're going to do it anyway. You're telling me to do it. I'm doing it. You're doing it. So there's an enormous amount of doubling up. Can of come across as micromanagement. So I, I like that term, the player coach. And you think you're helping someone, but you're actually annoying them because you're de- delving into the weeds, not letting them prove that they can do it themselves. 100%. So what you've got to realise, and I'm big on roles, you know, and footy clubs teach you that really well. Yeah, you know, everyone has a role to play. So identifying now that I've gone from that sales person to that sales manager, firstly, what is my role? You know, so that's up to the CEO or whatever. To, to, to Even a lot of small, medium business we work with, we talk about that a lot. What's your role as a director? Just because you're a director doesn't mean you need to know everything. You still have to have a role to play. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, my strengths are this, this, and this. Okay, well, your other director's strengths are this, this, and this. So why don't you get him to do that part of the business and you concentrate on that part. Fantastic. All right. Now we understand what our directors are doing. Now we've got a sales manager. Have you articulated to the sales manager exactly what their role? So role clarity Hmm. is incredibly important. Then we don't stumble over everything. Then we have accountability. Then we have reward and challenge. Well done, Andrew, for doing your job, mate. Fantastic. But if I don't know what my job is, how do I know that I'm doing it well? And then if I'm not sure what your job is as your CEO, even though you're the sales manager, how do I reward and challenge you? And footy clubs, again, teach the importance of real clarity around roles and putting people in positions they're capable of doing. You know, when you put a football team together, you know, it's up to the coach to, to you know, put the jigsaw puzzle together and give the players the best opportunity to be successful. I'm not sure that happens in business. We tend to just give people roles, yeah, because they're directors or because they're friends or whatever. We don't really explain what those roles are, and then we just have this mass confusion that goes on within, within our organisation. Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. One of the things I love about sport 
is during the season you have a scorecard. Yep. You win or you lose, which is the outcome, but it's the process that leads to that. And coaches like you have then pulled apart five, six, seven things that lead to the outcome. But in the corporate world, we often travel blind. It's a bit like you know, my, my I finished school in Dubbo and I used to drive home to Dubbo and you'd be listening to the radio. There was no mobiles back then. It's a fair while ago. Yeah. Is it? Back in the early days. But you, so you're not texting or getting distracted by mobile. But, you know, you, you're thinking about something or listening to your favourite tunes. For me, it's 80s metal. And then I go, have I been through Mudgee? Shit, yeah, I'm, I'm near Golgong. I'm, I'm nearly home. I think a lot of people are driving to Dubbo and don't know that they've been through the Blue Mountains or Lithgow or Mudgee. And then they get into leadership roles. Again, there's no self-awareness. They're just on autopilot. Yeah, exactly. And that's why these some of the things we spoke on earlier are really important. So before you get to the leadership position – Start your learnings then. Don't wait until you get to that position. Always journaling is a great way to do it. Yeah, at the end of the week, what did I learn about Ruzi today? Yeah, how did he respond to that loss? Yeah, what was Miso doing? What did the week look like? And you can do that in a corporate sense. So don't start your learning about leadership. And we talk about um, talent and team, you know, um, transactional or relationship. You know, a lot of leaders in corporate world are talent-based. So they get promoted because they're really talented or they start a small business because they're really good at computers or they're really good at selling cars or selling shoes, but they don't develop the relationship component, which is the leadership component. Transactional, they're really good at transacting, but they're not great at um, relationships. They're really good talent-wise but they're not great at team because they've never really learned it. They've never experienced it. So do whatever you can. Now, for those that have already got there and saying, geez, I wish I had done it, all right, read some books, okay? Understand leadership is, has changed. You need to build really strong relationships. You need to have really good self-awareness. You need to put park your ego in the locker room. You need to ask questions. You need to listen. And you need to start developing roles within your organisation and clarity in your organisation. And we talk about it all the time. What's your purpose? What are your values and what are your behaviours? The sooner you do it, the better. And I talked to a, a really small company the other day of nine people and they asked me, they said, oh, look, should we bring you guys in? I said, absolutely. Because the earlier you know what you stand for, you know what your values are and you know what your behaviours are, that's your process. Get your process right as soon as you possibly can, and that's your culture. Then there's the technical side of your business, which will never tell you, you know, how to build a, you know, a computer. That's for you to define. But we'll define what you stand for as an organisation. We'll define how you act. And then I talk about it all the time. Then you decide, do I act my way in or do I act my way out? And fundamentally, that's the way good organisations work. You've just littered four or five things. I need to back up and pick up one or two, throw them on the back of the ute and then move forward. Purpose, values and behaviours, imperative. It's a bigger conversation for another day as well. But I totally agree with you. You've got a company of 50,000 people or nine people. If you don't have that, and also I think, Paul, we often go, oh, my company purpose is this. Yeah. What's mine? 
And, and we, we've done a few podcasts. So on this, we spoke to Lisa Messenger two or three podcasts ago who talks a lot about personal purpose. And you can listen to Lisa talk about how she carved out her personal purpose. So important to have your personal purpose then mapped or aligned with the company purpose. So quick question on that. When did you sharpen your personal purpose, the Paul Ruse purpose? Yeah, yeah. Again, I think because I was – I reckon when I was about – 1986, I became captain. 87 of, of Fitzroy. How old were you when you became captain? Uh, 23 or 24. Um, but I was lucky to have really good role models. So what I realised early, it, it, even though I didn't articulate or write it down, I knew to be a good leader at Fitzroy, you had to be a good person. All right. So that is values based. That's behaviour based. And I, I talk about it a lot of time. A lot of leaders can talk the talk but not walk the walk. So I think establishing them organically was really important for me. And then once I, probably once I did the presentation to Sydney, the board, to get the job in 2003, I had to really articulate some of those things and communication and honesty were the two of the things that I still talk a lot about, you know, is really, really important. But as as, a, as Lisa said, establishing your purpose or your own brand. I talk about it as your brand. What's Andrew May's brand? What's Paul Ruse's brand? And I talk a lot to my boys about it, Dylan and Tyler. You know, what, what's your brand? What do you mean, Dad? Well, when people, you know, talk to you or see you for the first time, what do you want them to think of you? You know, and that's all based on your values. And more importantly, because what I notice, a lot of companies have a purpose and values, but then they don't have behaviours underneath it. So let's say you and I started a company, we talk about honesty. Honesty is a, a value. Then all of a sudden, next week, I say, Andrew, we, we were in that meeting last week and I asked you about um, Peter. You said you hadn't spoken to him. I just spoke to Peter and he said you had spoken to him. Hang on, our value is honesty. And you say to me, well, Rusey, yeah, I think at the time I was believed I was being honest because I didn't really believe you needed to get into that. All right, so let's see that conversation. If our behaviour is tell the truth, that's a dramatically different conversation. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. I'll give you another one. You're sitting in the boardroom and you and I have done this in multiple companies over the years. You have a 10 a.m. meeting with the executive team or a board member and you're reading the mahogany case and the top value they lead with is respect. It's 10 minutes past 10. No one's come in to say they're late and then they rock in and sit down and just start. Like uh, the, the brochures don't match the behaviours. No, exactly. But if we, we, are, we articulate really clearly that telling the truth is different to honesty. Now, I know for you and I it might be, but then I – it's easier for me to hang on, Andrew. I know you think you're being honest, but look at our behavior. It says tell the truth. Did you tell the truth? That's an action. So if we had respect as opposed to be at be at meetings on time, hang on. That's an action. So if we've got written that down, instead of respect, we've got be at all meetings on time. It's a lot easier to reward and challenge, isn't it? But we stay at the value level and we don't discuss behaviors. Because I guarantee. And you're 100% right. I guarantee 50% of the people in the meeting are going, is that respectful or not? Or maybe maybe Paul was doing something else and maybe I shouldn't ask him. The other 50% are going, 
That's not respectful. But if that, but if a behaviour is be at meetings on time, I guarantee what happens: someone in that room challenges and say, "Andrew, our behaviour is be at meetings on time, mate." You, you, you know. But that's the difference between the behaviour. And if you can start to establish your behaviours and that what they are, then that leads to your values, and that. But they all sort of dovetail in together. I'm going to interject with a coaching psychology term. I'm going to get off the dance floor. I've got loving this engaged, like robust conversation up onto the balcony. I think at the moment there's probably two different types of people or two different thought processes going on. I think there's some people listening to this who've done the work, and I emphasize that done the work. It's bloody hard. Yes. You've been in a leadership role since you were 22. You're now in your early 40s, right? A bit older than that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been a leader 40 plus years. So there'll be people listening to this who've done the work in a leadership role going, yeah, Rosie, yeah, Andrew, I, I'm, I'm hearing the messages from Paul. I have a clear purpose. I know values, behaviours. I can go into any team, sport, corporate, and I, I lean in. I have the conversations. I can adapt my style. I've got self-awareness. I know how to self-regulate. I've got this ability to, to adapt. When I make mistakes, then I flip as well and I keep learning I keep growing I am going to start I'm going to ask a question soon how you start your day I think that's really important and we'll we'll tap on that but that's a lot of experience Paul and and you don't just do that overnight so but I'm sure there's a group of people going yeah I'm doing a lot of this performance-based leadership stuff and I've got a couple of really good messages to add to my suite great I think there's a bunch of people listening to this as well who are probably on their leadership development starting going Oh my God, how do I do all this? How do I find my personal purpose? That can take me months. How do I be a better leader and get my personal brand and everything else? How do I this, this, this? And then he's talking about journaling and meditation and energy levels. And so for the person that's just starting, how do you get them to go on this? And every time I say journey, I feel like a contestant on Australian Idol. You know, this is not the end of my journey. (laughs) So, but how do you work with someone who's just starting down this path? We touched on it before, self-awareness. Don't worry about where you're at, okay? You're at where you're at. But if you don't know where you're at, you don't know what you need to learn or what you've already learned. Does that make sense? So the starting point is this is where I'm at. So just do a do a little bit of a an audit on yourself. You know, I'm good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm good. That's fine. And then ask questions. Ask for help. No one in your organisation is expecting you to know everything. All right. Don't bluff your way through. That's the worst thing you can do. And then just build your skill set slowly. And if you're asking questions and and being honest, people are going to help you. All right, if you're pretending to know everything, people will see through you straight away and won't want to help you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You mentioned before Brené Brown, and Brené Brown is known for putting vulnerability on the map. Her quick story for someone who hasn't heard of Brené, she was doing a PhD and she was looking at vulnerability and she had a breakdown, a self-confessed breakdown doing it because it was that scary for her reaching deep looking at it. Uh, but it's big in footy now, right? You talk about vulnerability. It's so important to have that. And it, 100%. Like footy went from – so for those of you who haven't followed sport that much, so AFL went from sort of semi-professional and I started training at five in the afternoon and, and six o'clock in the morning. Late 90s when I was finishing became fully professional. So then, then we had all this time. So suddenly we started to look at 
different avenues, not just the running, the lifting weights and all that. We started to look at, you know, um, meditation and mindfulness and yoga and Pilates and, and acupuncture and all these different ways to, to get better. Yeah, then coaches started to build relationships with their players, which was what I built after build a relationship with the player. And then through all that whole process, what we found out is the more connected players felt with their coaches, which was almost opposite to what it was in the 80s. You know, the more distance there was from the players, the better we performed. Now, this notion of, well, the closer the coaching group and the players are, so then how do we get that closeness? Well, we get it through sharing. We get it through vulnerability. We get it through authenticity. You know, that's basically how we build these relationships. So then, you know, footy clubs would have – Miso was fantastic. We took touch on Dave before. Dave Misson came back from the cricket and came to Sydney. He said to me, Rusey, look, we did this thing with cricket, and bearing in mind this is 2003, we did this thing with cricket where we got players up in front of the group and they'd have to tell a story, a cricket story that people didn't know, and then they'd have to tell us – something about them that no one knew. And I said, actually, that's not a bad idea. So that's a form of it. So that started in 2003. So we had some guys that would get up. Eamon Buchanan shot this potato shooter across the SCG. And I'm like... Oh, the potato gun. The potato gun. Um, You know, guys were talking about, you know... Highly illegal now. Highly illegal. We used to fire them at Dubbo out in the forest, yeah. (laughs) Benny Fixed got his guitar and just started playing his guitar in front of the whole group. There's the vulnerability. There's the, the another word for it is authenticity. What makes Andrew tick? What makes Rusey tick? I, I don't. I, I want to see the coach, but I want to see the person, and 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 it works. And Brene Brown's a, a great exponent of it, and and the leading, you know, voice in that area. It works. <laughs> so if you if you're skeptical out there, going, oh, that doesn't that sounds fluffy. Do it because you're the most selfish person in the world because it's going to make your company better. I'm telling you. Uh, look, I used to think, Paul, that coming from a you know, country background, sporting background, ah, no chinks, yeah, don't tell people your weaknesses, how wrong I was. It took me to go through a marriage breakdown at the age of 40 with two young kids and to really struggle, and I mean really struggle, to get out of bed each day. And I was pretending, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. No, because yeah. I, I thought putting my hand up would be a weakness, how wrong I was. It took me 18 months of pain to actually then you know, go see a psychologist, look at my schema, because I, I, I thought that you know I'd been good at sport, uh, good at building businesses, good at education, good at relationships. Suddenly a marriage breakdown or marriage failure. I thought if I saw you or people I knew that you'd judge me. So I didn't hide it because people know you're going through a marriage breakdown. You're not wearing a ring. But gosh, I, I learned so much when I finally let go and acknowledge it's okay to not always be okay. I know you're a big proponent of mental health for, for men as well and women, but especially an advocate for men. But showing your chinks, showing weakness, it's actually a strength and, it, and you connect with so many more people. And that's the, that's the point, it's the connection. You know, for, for yeah, a young person coming in, let's talk about the Melbourne Footy Club because I was obviously older when I coached Sam. So for a young person coming in, looking at Paul Ruse, you know, and um, without, you know, sounding like an egomaniac, you know, you look at the resume and your premiership coach and all that, it's quite daunting. So if, you, if that picture remains, then I can't get the best out of that player because there's this, oh, well, I can't be like Paul Ruse or, you know, I don't really know what Paul Ruse is talking about because he's 55 years of age and he, he's done all this stuff. I'm 18. If suddenly that young person sees, you know, um, 
here's the story of my wife and how I met my wife and my kids come in and and they start to connect. So we're talking about connection now. We're starting. So what we're now vulnerability, authenticity leads to connection. Connection leads to self worth. Now I feel valued as an 18 year old player because I feel more connected to the coach. No longer is it the coach here and me there. I actually feel connected to the coach. I feel connected to Nathan Jones, who's our captain. You know, so now I've got this confidence and of self worth that I'm finding my way. That's the mechanisms around high performance. Yeah, that's how we get to where we want to get to. Not, well, Paul Roos is up here and Nathan Jones up here and I'm a young kid and like it was in the 80s, I don't speak to anyone, I don't talk to anyone and I just sink or swim myself. That That's not the case anymore. So for those of you, yeah, out there that are going, like you and I were both, what's all thing? Yeah, when I was 80s and captain of 86. Don't show anyone your weaknesses. You get dropped. Yeah, you, exactly. You won't, you won't make the 22 on Saturday, let alone the 18 on the park. 100%. Now to understanding concepts and understanding how the human brain works and you touched on neuroscience before and and all that sort of stuff. Now I understand why it's so important for the coach to be vulnerable, why it's so important for the coach to be authentic, why it's so important for the coach to say, well, I was wrong. I don't know everything. Why it's so important for the coach to to use his assistants, to use his leadership group, to, to collectively build something together and when I look back on the time in Sydney, it's special. When when you get it right, it is so special. And it it's hard work and it's a lot of effort from a lot of different people. But for those that are going through a lot of hard times at the moment, when you understand the concepts and when you get it right, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it didn't happen overnight at Sydney. But when it happens, it's worth it and it's special. Did you acknowledge it at the time how special it was or has that come with time? So it's hindsight? Both, both. I knew how special it was because it took 72 years and I knew how special the day was, but I didn't realise the commitment that everyone had made to each other. I probably wasn't fully aware of how everyone was so interconnected. Yeah, the players, the coaches, the fitness staff, the medical staff, the admin staff. Everyone was committed, and, I, and I, I probably didn't fully understand how special it was at, at the time. Mm. And I just, I said I'll back up the truck or back the ute and throw a few things on. So I've got all these loops, and I'm sure I'll listen back to this and go, oh, we could have gone down that rabbit hole, that rabbit hole. We might have to get Paul Bruce back for number two by popular <laughs> demand. But a couple of things I want to pick up on is journaling. You've mentioned that a couple of times. You obviously journal regularly. Uh, what's the frequency? How does journal writing look for you? Yeah, it's funny. Someone asked me a question um, a little while ago on a podcast and said, "What is there something you wish you had done when you were younger? And I, I sort of thought about it for a while. I said, yeah, I, I wish I had a journal and written down my experiences. Probably now, because I'm so in tune with what I do, I've only just started journaling, to be honest. And I've got, so for those, I've actually got it here. And, and this, I'm in quarantine now, for those who don't know, the quarantine's actually been really good for me to reassess as well. You know, what are the emotions I'm going through? So I'm really pleased, even though I've, I'm aware of it and I tell people to do it, it's probably one thing I haven't done myself and I'm glad that I've just started it now because it's it's sort of put into context a lot of things that we've been talking about. And because I said to my wife, Tammy Journals, a lot, I said, well, what am I supposed to write? So this is a bit of a just write whatever feels 
don't feel like journaling is a chore or it has to be a certain way. And Tammy said, just write what you feel. You know, so yes, you know, what did I write down yesterday? It's just an experience I had when I was a youngster. You know, my first game with the Nanowite Inspectors, I was nine years of age and I just remembered it. I remember I was, it was the first time I was nine, I'd actually was terrible at it. And I was like, I was really fearful. And what I've learned through journaling yesterday, every time that I'd been faced with a challenge, I'd actually overcome it. And it was actually, and I wrote down just a number of different points, 2005, Andrew Demetrio, and we won the premiership. You know, 2013, my first, my second game with um, Melbourne, we just got absolutely pummeled by West Coast Eagles. And by the end of, you know, my my uh, tenure there, we'd won, we'd beat Hawthorne, which was like impossible for the Melbourne Footy Club to do. So that's one example of journaling. It just sort of came up to me. Why am I still thinking about this little kid at nine who was going to Donvale Primary School? And it was the first hurdle I'd faced. I, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a really good basketball. I'm going to go down and play for the rep team and I'm going to kick their ass. And I had a shocking game. So that's just so hopefully that gives a little practical example. Well, it's reflective practice. You, you, so we're videoing this as well. When you spoke about that nine-year-old, you lit up. Like you, you're passionate at the best of times, right? You, you walk into a room, we've got to dial the lights down a bit, right? It's bright when you walk in, but you really lit up. The other thing um, I'd like you to do, look down the bottom of the page. Does it say quarantine? Get me out of here. <laughs> well, it's funny. It, it, what have I got? I've sort of, like the learnings, I've, I've yeah, I'm happy to share. Learnings um, for me on yesterday, overcoming self-doubt, remain confident. And this is something for, actually, it's probably topical at the moment. So for those business leaders that are struggling, you're there for a reason. It's a bit like you're there for a reason, okay, just overcoming that self-doubt. And there's a lot of problems going on at the moment. Remain confident. Keep going. Trust yourself and believe in yourself. So that that was the sort of learnings from yesterday but it's all sort of stemmed from this quarantine that I've now got time and it's uncomfortable being in quarantine, but how can I use this time more effectively to get something out of it? And that's another good lesson as well. So it's been really valuable in the last week to sit down and reflect. And that's, I guess it's a, probably the best way I can answer it. I've just done it. And it's the first time I've actually ever done it. So it's been really, really valuable in the last eight days. And thanks for sharing that live example. And just to round that out, the psychological research, but also I'm a regular journal writer. I tend to though write when it's on things I'm stuck on. I'm trying to to be an inner coach more on future stuff. I think that's my, yeah, my right. area of development in journaling. It's easy to write down, oh, this is crap, this person struggling here, didn't get that deal. But I'm trying to focus more on the future and skills and I'm going to journal after today. The the one take home for everyone listening to this, one of the many, but the number one thing I'm going to do, and I encourage everyone listening if they haven't, write down what sort of leader do you want to be? I think that's so, so important. But the, the psychological research shows with journaling, it's a really good way of ca- capturing our inner thoughts and becoming a self-coach. So it really does take on a coaching, self-coaching role. Okay, journaling on the shelf, meditation. I've read in, in some of the quotes about you, he's a spiritual player. He's a bit of an esoteric <laughs> type coach. How do you feel when someone reports on you, first of all, in that light? And then secondly, talk to me about meditation and where that fits in, in your life. Yeah, it's funny. When we talk about brand before and, I mean, you, your behaviour sort of established your, your brand. So I remember when I started working at Triple M, my first year um, 
out of coaching Melbourne. And organically, um, um, Mark Howard used to introduce me as the Zen master. And we've now got the Zen master. So your behaviours sort of dictate what people think about you. So I think people naturally saw me as a pretty calm coach, a calm player, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of talk about the chicken or the egg. You know, I think I'm naturally pretty calm. But I think my meditation practice um, has clearly helped that. You know, and I started meditating like 20 years ago or 15 years ago with Tammy. And we're not, um, someone asked me the other day, I'm a Buddhist. I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I have these beliefs, I have a belief system that things happen for a reason. And for me, meditation is my time. You know, it's just time to quiet the mind, refocus a bit. It's it's me time. And it's amazing. I mean, Tammy's got a, a PhD and done a doctorate on meditation, so she can tell you um, a lot more detail around the, the physiological effects. But I remember a lot of times, and I'll talk because I'm trying to give you some practical examples, which I think, Andrew, you've been great at today as well, is I remember I'd always meditate the day of the game, particularly when I, even when I was playing, but when I was coaching. And I remember a lot of times the day of the game, I think, what am I going to tell the players today? So I'd go into my meditation and every single time I'd come out, I had real clarity. Oh, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to tell my players today. So here's a practical example for leaders out there. Can you give us a time time stamp on that? So in a day, say you've got a game, yep. centre bounce, 2 p.m. When are you meditating? I'm meditating in the morning. So I always meditate in the morning of the game. If it's a night game, sometimes I meditate in a hotel or whatever in the afternoon because we can, and I always say this to Tammy as well, we can sort of look at meditation from a spiritual Buddhist or whatever, but it's not. It's a tool. It's just another tool in our toolkit to make us better human beings. So to give you a practical example is really important. So for those really busy leaders, meditating in the morning is going to, Organize your mind a little bit. So when you're actually going into that meeting, you're clearer going to that meeting. And all of a sudden, the information flow is, that's what I'm going to talk to the staff today. So I'm trying to give you a practical example of of doing it. As a player, I'd meditate every game because it gave me more energy. There's no question. How long, Paul? How long the time period? About 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes. But start off, if if you haven't meditated before, and Tammy will tell you, start off with a minute, two minutes. You know, don't be daunted by the amount of time. Just set yourself, set your clock for five minutes um, and just start the practice. It's like anything, you know, if you wanted, if you weren't a runner, Andrew, and I'm sure you've coached a lot of people you have in fitness, you're not going to tell someone that's never run to run a marathon. You know, you're going to say, do a little fart leg, do a walk, run, start. Yeah, we'll take you to Centennial Park. But, Rosie, I, I, I ran because I couldn't catch a footy, mate. I, <laughs> <laughs> but there's... But the people that aren't runners, you're not going to tell. Absolutely, you, know. you you start with a kilometer, go to two kilometers. Yeah, I, I, but I like that you you've you've given that significance before. I call it a performance moment. So whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, or you're do, you're doing a keynote presentation, albeit now in our business, it's we're laptop speakers. I quote Jake Bailey, who's on this podcast. We now speak to laptops until COVID guidelines change, and uh, we go back to a, a blend. So there, there's some live events. Um, but before any big event, you're actually sitting down, breathing. And for those people, again, listening to this going, yeah, we had Justin Langer on here. One thing for quarantine that's been a bonus for me as a podcaster is I've spoken to you and JL while you're both in quarantine. <laughs> both in quarantine there's some parallels, yeah. yeah. I, I've got some time in your diary. But you just hear some people and it, it can sound too much. If you're just starting, like you said, just do a minute of breathing, you know, 
Google diaphragmatic breathing and then go box breathing. And a great foray, Tammy Ruse, your wife, who I think is the master of meditation. She's got a beautiful approach and brings some of the philosophy. It's been around for thousands of years. You know, you read about the Navy SEALs and I hear this stuff, Navy SEALs, start meditating. Well, the practice on that goes back a few thousand years, but Tammy's got a real research. We're interviewing Tammy in this podcast coming up. So for those listening, be patient. And in another month, we're going to talk to Tammy about the art and the science of meditation. Now, rolling all that together, what does Paul Ruse's morning look like? Is there a routine structure to your first, say, 30 minutes of every day? Yeah. And again, this has been challenging quarantine. I'll touch on that in a minute. But yeah, look, I meditate every day when I get up, you know, just med- just slide back in bed, put the pillow behind my head and, and meditate. I think one of the great challenges for all of us through COVID is how do we maintain our routines? And that's been incredibly challenging for everyone. But I would, I would implore, and I'll give you, again, trying to give you a practical example. So I, I got into quarantine a week ago and I really struggled. I arrived at, um, at night and the next morning I got up and I was sort of walking around this room and I'm thinking, how am I going to um, get through these 14 days? And then all of a sudden I said, no, hang on, let, let me set up the room. So I put the two chairs where I'm sitting on now and I've sort of loosely made this my sitting room. You can I've got a bike in the room, so I've got to hire the bikes. I've got my gym next to me. I've got my kitchen where all the food is on the bench over there and I've got my desk there. So even so that completely changed my mindset. But I'm, I'm fortunate I've got a suite, so I've got a bed and a living room. I love that you've hired a bike though because control the controllables. I know a lot of people who've been in quarantine and a lot of them get into – that mindset, oh, victim mentality, oh, God, I'm here too. And, and you see it on social media. That people you go in there, hey, day one, I've got some time. Uh, reflecting, day two, oh, pain. by day three, uh, not clinically, but you know, showing signs of feeling depressed, take control of the situation, love it. Exactly. So then, so then all of a sudden I've set up a space. As difficult as – and then you couldn't get a, a more difficult space, to be honest, or, or one of. So I've set up my space. So then by doing that, it was amazing how – so quickly my mind sort of changed. And then I sort of thought, okay, well, let's look at it from a workday point of view. So I'll get up, I'll do my meditation, have my brekkie, and then I'll get into my, to my work. And then in the afternoon, as you said, I've got my bike, um, so then I'll get into my exercise. Then even in this place, I'll get into my Peaky Blinders moment. So then I'm going to start over dinner, I'll start watching some um, Peaky Blinders, and then at night I'll just whack a movie on. So Finding and doing that relatively quickly is really important. You know, so so control what you can control, what are the circumstances, and then what's your normal routine and how quickly can I get into that? And if I can't do exactly, clearly I can't, what are the things that are similar or I can sort of try and duplicate? So hopefully that again, gives people a practical example of, of, of how to utilise that tool. I really resonate with that, get into it quickly. It's the holiday moment and you and I work with a lot of execs who are busy and you tell them, you know, in sport, have an off-season. Yeah, yeah, Paul, I'm going to go on holidays and have an off-season. Where are you going? Let's pretend we can fly anywhere. We're going to Fiji, staying at the Novotel, great spot. And then you talk to them two weeks later, how was it? Awesome Wi-Fi connectivity, did a heap of work. So did you get to the gym? Nah, look, I got in a bad habit, had a couple of Mai Tais on the first. I, I, on holidays, this is me 
showing some of my somewhat OCD. But when I go away somewhere, the first two or three days sets the routine for the next couple of weeks. So I really think that's an important thing to pull out. Get into habits quick because high performance habits or whether they're lower performing habits, they're catchy. Yeah, 100%. And, and again, we're all, we're all learning. We touched on this before. So for me, even this quarantine has been a learning process. Like, because to your point, I, I, I vividly remember the Tuesday morning walking around going, wow, have a look at this room and, you know, it's small and, you know, this and that. And then I looked at the table and the chairs and all that sort of stuff. So just that ability to, to make informed, quicker decisions and get it, get it done. Don't procrastinate on it. Get it done. And then that's going to, to your point, you, the first two days of your holiday is going to set your holiday up. Am I playing golf? Yeah, am I getting up in the morning with the kids? Yeah, what am I doing? Set it early um, because I think too much through this COVID period, people, and it's been really difficult. Let's acknowledge that for a start. I'll oh, put it's been crappy. It's, it's totally tipped our lives upside down. It's been terrible. I think a lot of people have just floundered because they haven't reacted quick enough and then they've spiralled and spiralled and spiralled, you know, which has been really, really sad. And I Finish, I said it's been crappy, but it's been highly opportunistic. And I'd like to ask you, so when you're looking forward, this is a crystal ball moment, looking forward in 2021, so time of recording, we're early 2021, just into the new part of the year. What are you excited about this year in your business? And and also for you, personally. Yeah, it's interesting because coming from a football background, when we do a, a culture change, the, the, the facilitator comes in every single week. So one of the Biggest things I've found difficult in the corporate sector is typically because they, they don't put as much time aside. We do a one-day workshop and then we do a follow-up and a follow-up, but it, but it's not as regular. So we got to the point where we decided because our clients were saying, look, we need something. So we broke up our one-day workshop into four two-and-a-half-hour sessions over a month period, and it became so much more like a football club because we review and preview. So the, the second week we talk about what had happened during the week the third week, we so the stickability of it was incredible. So from a company point of view, I'm really excited. We're now delivering a better product for our for our for our start for our clients, and they'll get more, even though the day is always good because you got yeah more visibility and you you're there together and all that sort of stuff. So that from a business point of view has been really interesting. So now they can see what a footy club does. Oh, we you know. To a certain degree, because it's every single week, not once, yeah, you know, once a week for a month, sort of thing, and then continuing. So that's that's one thing from an individual point of view. Again, I think it's just taking the learnings and the journaling we touched on before, taking those learnings and trying to be positive. I think you touched on before, and it was a great reminder for me because it's really easy at the moment to say, "Well, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad," and I'm as bad as anyone because I'm as frustrated with our lack of leadership in Australia, our lack of leadership worldwide. But it's probably parking that and saying, okay, what? how can I be the solution rather than the problem? And I talk about that a lot. How can, how can I be part of the solution? How can I continue to provide, you know, solutions for people, um, advice for people, and not dwell too much on the bad things that have been happening and are still happening in the world? It is important we, we pause and generally reflect upon that. It's Barbara Fredrickson's broaden and build theory. And broaden and build theory is normally about 
optimism, that we broaden the base and then we build when you hang around more positive people. You listen to Paul Roos. Roosie, I give this the 20 push-up guarantee when I'm talking to someone and I'm like, you got the push-up guarantee in the first five minutes. So when you hang around positive people, when you journal, you look at what can go well. And I'm not talking about Pollyanna because, you know, one of the things about optimism as a construct is it's a belief that the future is going to be better. It's it's not just all great days. You, you, life's up and down, but that's broaden and build up. When you look at CNN and you look at Trump's tweets and you look at what you can't do and you get stuck on politics, you broaden and build down. And it really is important that we do focus on what we can control. But I like that notion now. There's a guy named Trevor Moard who does a lot of uh, mental skills work in America with NFL players and soccer. He talks about neutral thinking. And the analogy that he uses is, you know, when you're driving a car reverse, it takes a lot of energy to stop reversing and go forward. So someone's listening to this and going, oh, I'm pessimistic by nature. You know, it's pervasive, permanent, and my personality, they've, they've done a bit of the work on that. I'm always negative. No, no. Put it in neutral. So Trevor Moard talks about neutral thinking. And I think that's really important to get into that construct of broaden and build, but don't spiral down. So how do you at least pause and be in the neutral spot? And again, from a psychology point of view, Ruzi, you got me doing 40 push-ups because mindfulness, meditation, breathing, that daily practice of what can I do today, it's just so, so, so powerful to shape your day. Yeah, and again, we've touched on a heap of, um, concepts, haven't we? Which is which has been an amazing conversation, but again, a lot of it gets back to that notion of where am I at at this particular time? Am I being too negative? Then I've got to get into that neutral mindset. You know, am I being too positive? Even if you look at the other way, am I being too positive? But I'm not looking at the brutal facts. You know, what are, what are the brutal facts and the circumstance? So I might actually have to go from that positive mindset back to that neutral mindset to say, well, hang on. I'm actually overly optimistic, um, not to say I'm going to be negative, but I'm. hang on, let me just, okay, these are the brutal facts. Um, all right, yeah, now I can get back on that path again. So a lot of it, a lot of what we're talking about, am I healthy? No, I've, I've lost that. So my self-awareness say, now I need to get back into routine. I need to get back on the bike again. I need to become more positive. I need to control what I can control. All those things fundamentally are going to come back a lot to your self-awareness. Why is meditation and mindfulness so important? Because fundamentally it's about coming back into yourself and creating a really good self-awareness and looking after yourself. I think as human beings, it's funny, I talk about this and all the time. You know, if your light goes on in your car, you can't get it to the service centre quick enough. Yeah, you know, you'll you'll the oil light goes on. Geez. But if we feel something in ourselves, we just let it sit there for so long and we don't we, – we treat our car better than we treat ourselves. But that's I love the car, talk. mate. Like it's got a European or I've got a you know, GT Holden. Don't you understand how much that's worth, Rusey? How long have your knees been sore? Oh, yeah. Oh, back oh, five, ten, oh, probably 20 years. Jeez, come on. Yeah, exactly. How many people have a garden to come? Look after their garden because the weeds start to grow. The pool person comes and put chlorine in the pool, yet – we do not give ourselves that same self-care. And I think if, if nothing else we've learned out of COVID, we have to look after ourselves better. Fundamentally, we have to look after ourselves better. And all these tools we're talking about are really designed for that. doesn't matter whether you're a footy coach, a footy player, a small business owner, you know, um, first job stacking the shelves at, at, at Coles or whatever. Look after yourself. Turn up 
the best version of yourself every day and take some of these tools in order to be able to do that. Three or four more questions slash conversations, and then I'm going to let you go and either watch Peaky Blinders, get on your spin bike in quarantine, or go do some journal writing. Role modeling. We, like Role modeling has been a theme throughout this. You've been a great role model in your career. For someone listening to this who goes, yeah, yeah, I need a role model, how, how, how would I go or how would someone go about getting a role model? Choosing the role model, approaching the role model, working with the role model? There's probably two answers to that. Firstly, role models exist in everyone's life, okay, because they're people you look up to, all right? So they're there. Everyone has role models. You can have good role models and bad role models. My first thing is follow good role models. And I was really lucky going back to my Fitzroy days that I had great role models, all right? It could be your father, it could be your mother, it could be your uncle, your footy coach. They're there recognize good role models and thank them as well. So thanks thanks very much. I, I learned a lot from you today. So be aware of that. The other version is probably more that mentor type, you know, Andrew, you're talking about. You know, how do I pick a role model? Approach someone, again, same concept. Approach someone you like. Who walks the walk? Because in this age of social media, there are some shocking role models. Oh, don't, don't don't be started. I'm looking at Thomas the Wizard here. Like, when I get it going on influencers, like he'll oh, just oh, cut me off. You shocking, know. Oh. shocking role models. And all they've done is become role models because they've got a million followers. Mm, and they look good in a bikini or and a pair of swimmers. Whatever, whatever it is. Better to find people that walk the walk. Approach you know, that CEO that you used to work with and say, you know, um, Peter, look, would you mind catching me up with me for coffee once a month? You know, I really value you as a mentor and I value what you've done. I, I need to learn how did you walk the walk? I've got so many leaders that talk the talk. Handpick them. Don't get bluffed by this world of information because majority, you and I well know, the majority of leaders and teachers have no idea what they're doing. But they've got a platform now that never existed. So they've got great marketing behind them, you know, they've, they've developed the following and it just snowballs. They're not the people that should be your mentors. The mentors are the ones that you truly can see that they're walking a walk. They're the ones you need to approach. Or if someone recommends them and say, look, I recommend this person because this is what they've done. Here's their resume. They walk the walk. They don't just talk the talk. So many people talk the talk and not enough walk the walk. That piece on acknowledging role models or standing on the shoulders of the giants that have helped you on the way, it is really powerful and it feels good. I rang a role model of mine, Steve Rickson. You would have met Stumper, who yeah, was the coach Steve. at New South yeah, Wales yeah, yeah. Cricket for a number of years. And I, I had a, an interview recently getting back into sport to go back in, in with a professional team. I haven't done an interview for 15 years. And my first interview, well, my last interview was with Steve Rickson and went for seven minutes in the SCG. And it just reminded me, and I rang Stumper on the weekend. I just said, I just want to thank you, mate, for teaching me about sport. It was the first Real, it was the first professional sporting team I'd work with, but he taught me discipline and it went for seven minutes. And I won't say everything in the interview, but I was wearing a tie. So you get that effing thing off. You got a nickname. We shook hands. I said, Have you got a job description? He said, What do you mean? I said, oh, There's a you know, strength and conditioning role for New South Wales cricket. Is there a job description? He said, Back to Miso, we both thank today. He said, Oh, you come highly recommended from Miso. Uh, come and do a session tomorrow morning. If the guys like you, stay. If not, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I said, is there anything else? He said, yeah, rule number one. 
I go, what's rule number one? Don't be late. Okay. Rule number two, if you're late, fuck off. I'll see you tomorrow. It was a seven minute interview. But I learned so much from Steve Rickson as a role model and going back through an interview process, it just really brought that up. And we had a great conversation. And because he said to me six, seven years later, we warmed me up in the SCG, he said, are you still here? I said, you all made the players obviously like the session and I haven't been late. But it was really nice. So just acknowledging on what you said. And for someone listening, I've said, write down the leader you want to be, go thank your role models. It does probably as much, if not more for you than it does for them. And, And often role models don't get thanked. And it was a really nice conversation. Yeah, 100%. I'll just not that I've lost connection, but we now walk on Sundays with all these Fitzroy guys. It's been so rewarding, like, yeah, you know, getting back and talking about the old days and all that sort of stuff. So is there, if there is someone out there that you really miss and you really want to thank, too often, particularly as Aussies, we, we probably don't, we're not positive enough and we don't thank people enough. Again, it gets back to that authenticity and vulnerability. Yeah, you know, shoot them a text. Say, look, thanks a lot. I um, really appreciate what you did for me when I was 18 years of age. You know, if you're ever in town, you know, give us a call. You're 100% right because they've had a positive impact in your life. And if you reconnect, they're probably going to continue to have a positive impact on your life. Well, we're having lunch in a couple of weeks. I'm already looking forward to it. 100%. Yeah. I said three or four things. That's one. I've got to count because we'll go for another five or six. So the second one, do you ever get exhausted? Because talking to you – like there's a real process, there's a real methodology, but do you ever get exhausted as a leader and go, God, it's hard. I just want to veg or just chill. Yeah, I remember after game day, like, and Tammy, if we'd had a win and Tammy, the boys were excited, it was like, oh, come on, let's go. We'll go out. So like, can we just go home and get a pizza and, you know, because by the end of the week you are exhausted, you know, and I think that's why leaders listening, it is exhausting. That's why we're talking so much about this notion of wellness and leadership connected. It can't be isolated anymore. We can't become a good leader if we don't look after ourselves. And at the end of the season, I'd go away every year. And you touched on it before. I remember being in this seminar one day and someone got up as a badge of honour and said, I haven't had a holiday for five years. I remember thinking, you imbecile. Sack him. Get rid of him. 100%. What sort of imbecile thinks they're that important that they've never had a holiday for five years? Because at the end of the season for me, I had to get away. And overseas, not talking about footy. Get to somewhere where no one knew anything about footy and I could disconnect and recharge. There's no point in having a holiday, you touched on before, if, if all your holiday is, is instead of taking your calls at work, you're taking them on the, around the pool at the Novotel in Fiji. It's, it's a waste of... It's a change in environment. It's not a holiday. It's not a holiday, Yeah. So recognize, again, recognising when you are tired and recognising that we are as human beings, we do need a break. We have to have a break. Multiple, multiple times, yeah, I've been exhausted and I've given myself a break and I've come back a better version of myself. Do you have a quote, a poem, a movie, a song, a book that you go to for inspiration? Is there one thing you go to or are there multiple things depending on the situation? Yeah, I mean, multiple quotes. I mean, one quote I heard one time, I don't know, said it was your own health will determine your health of your business. And I felt that particularly for the listeners now, I think that's incredibly important. I'll say it again, your own health will determine the health of your business. And I thought that was really, really I don't think people really believe it, and I and I thought that's quite interesting when you put it, you know, when you put it that way. It's um, it's really important. 
I've asked you a number of questions and we've had lots of robust conversation on lots of different constructs. Is there a question you'd like me to ask you in finishing or do you want to flip it? Is there a question you'd like to ask me? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's funny because we did, we talked, I've got to get this because if they don't, they'll think <laughs> I'm not got someone checking in quarantine, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'm just, I, I was on a podcast, I'm doing a thing, so I knew you were like, yeah, no problem, it's good to see you guys, thank you, no worries. Hey, Rosie, while you're getting back into it, Justin Langer, as we were starting, had the police knock on his door in WA, so this oh, is becoming yeah. a common theme, yeah. Well, people. I knew, because the phone was ringing, I knew they come up, so they were fine, it's the police, they've seen the police up, so they think. Um, do you want me to pick up on that? Because that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting, mate. I, I'll probably like to ask you a question because it's fascinating. We both touched on Dave Misson and and we do something at Performance Wide as I'm called The Culture Couch and we interviewed Misso and it was fascinating for me because often as leaders we don't get feedback and we don't actually hear from other people within our organisation. So we interviewed Misso and he talked about Sydney Swans and he talked about the review process, the preview, the review, and and just the relentless pursuit of excellence. So my question to you is, what you, what is it for you? What have you seen? What are the things that that really stick out for you over your incredible journey in sport and business? I'm going to answer that two prong. First of all, one of the mentors that I need to reach out with and thank is Miso. So that's a takeout for me because he's uh, not in Australia anymore. He's in Canada and I haven't spoken to him for, I think Paddy Farhart and I rang him 12 months ago. So yeah. I'm going to take that as a takeout. Well, what I've seen is hard work underpins success and you've embodied that today as well. So we'll look at, and even working and consulting at KPMG, you know, building and selling a few businesses. And sometimes people say, oh, you're lucky. You, you built this business. I'll tell you what, there's no bloody luck. Uh, you, I might put on this show, like you, I look after myself. I love what I do. I think that passion shows when you love. There's days that it doesn't. So you've got to look after the energy, but you've got to do the work. And, and I think listening to your messages today, listening to a lot of people on the podcast, luck doesn't fall on your lap. Yeah. Luck, I think I've heard some of the Americans and uh, you, you can hang up if you want to, but I'll do the accent. It's luck is <laughs> labor under correct knowledge. Blah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, there's no such thing as luck. You do the work, you have some things go your way, but in order to be successful, as um, work I'm doing in the military at the moment with, with soldiers, they train for thousands and thousands of hours and then you watch them they're skilled men and women who are so skilled at what they do but it's the hard work so I think answering that what I've seen is you've got to work hard but I'll add something else don't lose the fun because when it's just hard work and you don't have play laughter fun and joy it becomes a bit of a, a, a trudgery. So I think do the hard work. Don't take don't take yourself so seriously. And, and I get this through my kids. So your kids are a little bit older now in their early 20s. Yes. Uh, I've got a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and, and I've got, again, I've got a 9-month-old. And just seeing the joy little baby Sophia brings, I think it's that, that blend or the dance between the two. Work hard, have a bit of fun along the way. Yeah, great. Fantastic, mate. Thanks. Now, for people who want to find out more about you, you have a lot of resources, you do do consulting, you do a whole lot yep. of stuff. Where can people find you online? Yeah, so uh, 
www.performancebydesign.com. Um, look, I'm pretty accessible on LinkedIn if people want to send stuff to me on LinkedIn, but that's probably the main way to do it. Um, yeah, look, as, as you said, mate, I, mean, I think both of us are really passionate about helping now, helping small, medium businesses. We, we, we're in a lot of those small, medium businesses. We have a great understanding. So, yeah, look, reach out. Um, I'm pretty accessible. So, anyway, uh, through those tools. We'll put all your contact details up on the show notes as well. Hey, uh, it's a joy for me to interview people on this podcast. I've got a lot out of today. I'm going to write down my leadership credo, yeah, the leader I want to be as well. I think that's a really powerful exercise. I'm going to reconnect with Dave Mitten and I'm going to continue to get that blend between hard work and, and continue to evolve. So thank you for today. You've got more than the 20 push-up guarantee. Probably, <laughs> probably rounded out to 40. So Paul Roos, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, mate. I loved it. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.